He will never, ever let you down. Golly, what happens if we would just live as if that was true? It changed the way we love, I think. I think that's for sure true. We're going to have some fun today. Is that all right? Can we have some fun? You can have fun in church. Did you know that? You can have fun in church. I just turned my mic off. You can have fun in church. It's okay. I think it's a sin to bore people with the gospel of Christ. It's not boring. Though sometimes we're called into the boring, aren't we? To bring life. Woo! Uh, having a hard time breathing this morning, so bear with me. I uh, went sledding. 49-year-old sledding. This is a bad idea all around. A competitive 49-year-old sledding is another bad idea. But we have, uh, our youngest is six and the oldest is 16. And so we're still in sled world. Don't you love when they get old enough to go, sledding is stupid. And you're like, yeah, it is. But I was, I was on the hill. I was at the top of the hill and I thought it'd be cool to grab the sled and go running down the hill and then jump onto the sled. And I knew it had potential to hurt. I'm 49. You know, when you hit the ground, things jar and it hurts. But I missed the sled and landed on the sled, and I think I might have broke a rib. <laughs> you ever have that kind of pain that comes and the lights go out when it hits, and you're just like, ah. That's what it was. So if I'm gasping for air, that's why. Just pray. <laughs> We're in an amazing series as a church on living values. What, what, is it, what happens when our values match God's? And when the things that we value in church are the same things we value at home, are the same things we value at work, are the same things we value in our lives. It's called congruent values. Too often we punch a clock on a Sunday morning and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday look a lot different than Sunday. And God would call us to not make Sunday the only time we honor him, but to make every day the day we honor him. And Sunday is just a celebration of how it's gone all week. God, I can't wait to get here to give you all the praise you deserve from this week, to hear your word and be challenged in the deepest places of my heart so I can grow closer to you. We do not believe that church is for consumers, where you come to consume religious goods and services. It's a place we contribute to the hope that the world needs, which is Jesus, right? And so as we get into this series, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I want you to care less about, or not care, well, I said that wrong. You ever said things wrong? Let me rephrase. I, I don't want you to miss the point. Our values are, as a church, our living values, we desire to live every day like Jesus is our hope, people are our passion, worship is our response, community is our design real community, biblical community. Faith is our foundation, generosity our norm, serving our privilege, and scripture our guide. But more than all of that, okay, bigger than, what I want you to walk away with these next eight weeks is the understanding of how you grow. That you actually don't grow by hearing a good message. That's not how we grow. All through scripture, we see God challenge us not to be just hearers of the word, but doers as well. That to be a hearer of the word and walk away and not apply it is to be like someone who looks at themselves in a mirror and walks away and forgets what they look like. It's called a fool. 
But to be a doer of the word is to be a liver of all that God has for us, living the values of God in our life because God has control of our lives. And we're not there. How many would say I'm not there? Welcome to the church of imperfect people, but we serve a perfect God who can get us where he's going. And so we submit to that, and we want that to be the way our lives look. And so we live like Jesus is our hope. I wrote this out earlier. Hopefully you can see it all the way over there. It says Jesus is our hope. It's a mirror. Here's why. It's a mirror because we hope and desire that when we look in the mirror, what's reflecting back at us is Jesus' hope, not our hope. That what people see in us is the same thing we see in ourselves, that they see Jesus. Today we're talking about the fact that people are our passion. That when we look in a mirror, I hope that what's looking back is someone who values people and loves people the way God loves people. But before we dive in, I thought it would be fun because this whole thing is about understanding how we grow. That I would give you an example of what it looks like, a way to grow. This week had an opportunity to speak with a young man named Clint who walked away with an interesting perspective on Sunday. And so I'm going to invite Clint and Katie, if they would come to the front, you can give them a warm welcome. At the same time, I'm going to ask Ricky and Wendy to come. You just put, thought I put stools up here to try to see if I would hit them or not hit them, but nope, we're going to talk to some people and hear a story of how we grow, that it, it goes beyond Sunday. It goes beyond this moment. I hope and pray. We hope and pray as a leadership that you don't just hear a good message and go, well, oh, good job, and walk away and not let God apply it to your heart. And so, hey guys, hey. <laughs> um, I want you to share if you can, uh, Clint, as you guys walked away last week, Jesus is our hope. There was, there was some revelation in that and then just some tension in that. What happened last Sunday as you were walking away from church. Yeah, so, uh, so when we left, um, we, we get into our car and um, both of us began talking about the message and, and both of us said, we, we love that message, but how do we get there? Yeah. And then w we had the conversation and we were processing through it together and we were, we were looking at the list. <laughs> the list. What is your hope? Yeah, and, and we, we recognized that Although we thought we had a lot of hope in Jesus, we had way more hope in other things. Like what other things? I'm going to, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Can going. you hear me? Oh, I can hear you, yeah. <laughs> Shout it out. Um, money, work, vacations, family. Yeah. Am I missing something? No, <laughs> that's a lot. Getting a bigger house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So as you were processing that, what were you concluding and what were you struggling and battling in that whole process? I think that our conclusion was that we, we wanted to have our hope in Jesus. Sure. And the battle was that we knew we wanted to, we just didn't know how. Now, tell me what you were doing, because it started the moment you walked out the door processing yeah. this. Yeah. How did that go? So we're walking out the door, and the, our, our kids go downstairs. So what was cool about it is that their message that day was also about hope in Jesus. Um, so we get in the car, and they can hear us talking about it, and we ask them what their, their message was. Um, and they say, well, it was about hope in Jesus. So we're like, that's awesome. That's what ours was, too. 
where, where do you guys have hope? And they're like, oh, it's in Jesus, like any, like any little kid would say, until 20 minutes after we get home and they're fighting about video games. Right. Um, but it, it, the struggle was that we, we process this for in the car and at home and at lunch and at dinner, and we just started talking to each other and saying the same things. We, weren't, we were trying to process through it, but we weren't getting any new answers. We, were, we weren't getting to some next level of something that w it was like we started to understand. Right. So did you just leave it there? What did you do next? No, we just quit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so, so next, what we did is um, I, I went outside because it wasn't minus 500 outside. And just to kind of like get through my own head to, to try to process a new way of thinking about it. And I came back Let in. Let me just stop right there. Why is that important for you? to get a new way of thinking about it. What did you realize? I, I think that, that as we're sitting there talking to one another we're, and we're both agreeing on everything we're saying, we're not getting anywhere just because we're agreeing with one another. But it's, you want to get somewhere. But I want, we want it, both of us wanted so bad to just get somewhere where it was like we're waiting for that light bulb moment. So my light bulb moment when I came back in the house and I was like, we gotta call Ricky and Wendy. <laughs> that was our that light awesome? bulb moment. And, and I think that that was what we were struggling with the most is because we couldn't get to this next level of, of thinking. We wanted to find, and we admire their, their love for Jesus and the way that their passion is and the way that their relationship is. We aspire to be like that. So why not call someone who, who, who we do life with and ask them what they think or give us a new perspective on it? Awesome. So you call these guys. Now I'm going to let you tell your side of the story here in just a second. Okay, not yet. What did you learn when you call? What, what was added to the growing process of Jesus is our hope and how we accomplish that? They answered the phone. <laughs> yeah, well, first they answered the phone. See, and that's big. And a lot of times we don't call because we know people aren't yeah. going to answer the phone. This, this was on a Sunday night at 6 p.m., dinner time. Wow. So thank you. <laughs> We're going to ask you that question in a second. So what did you, what, you grow? What did they say? What was an encouraging element for you? What did you take away? Well, some, something that immediately right off the bat that Ricky said at the very beginning of the conversation was he said, well, guys, I'm going to take this from a biblical perspective. Right. And that's something him and I were definitely not doing. Sorry, Dave. No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Confession I mean, is good for the soul. It's, it's, it's hard, though, to... to, to get in that mindset and think that way. And, and we knew that, that they were really good at that. So that's why we called them. So I think that right away kind of triggered something in our brain to kind of shift perspectives. And they started asking us questions that we hadn't thought about yet yeah. that kind of made us like think deeper into it. Yeah. I, I think another thing too, is that even though that they're they're we look at them as being farther along in, in living as Jesus is their hope than what we are, even when we call them, they made it very clear that they have some of the same questions that we have. Wow. Yeah. Just, just because we're newer to this doesn't mean that people who aren't new to it don't have the same questions and also seek help from others. And that was very solidifying for us to be able for them to pour that love into us to be like, hey, you guys are where a lot of people are. There's nothing. You don't need to feel bad about this. That's good. No shame. So, Clint, you and I met on, uh, on Monday and, and I heard this story, and I'm like, this is what it's about. This is, we've got to go past Sunday. We've got to go past 
than not knowing. There are answers. That's why God's given us each other, his word, the Holy Spirit. Um, you and I got to talk, and there were some moments of even greater clarity. What was kind of the, the aha moments in that moment that just was the next step for you? Yeah, so when, when you and I sat down, obviously, uh, Ricky had already told you about our conversation. You and I went through that conversation a little bit, and then you and I had our own conversation, and it became, it started to become more and more clear about what you pour in. Um, and there's so much that gets poured into us, to me, to her, to us as a community, and you just start to realize that, especially what you and I talked about, um, the, the, the main thing that I took away from that is that you, you spend time with him, you enjoy your time with him, and yeah. you read his word. It, it's like the story that you told me that I came to you on Sunday, and we were supposed to meet at 8 o'clock on Monday, and it could have been very easy for you to be like, well, yeah, I've got better things to do. I don't really want to do it, but because it's on my calendar, I'll do it. That would not have made me feel very good. <laughs> right. So he knows whether or not you're enjoying your time with him, and that's how you grow your hope through Jesus is, is to actually spend time with him and enjoy it. Yeah. Because the time that I spent with you, I enjoyed, you know, and the, time, and the times that, w that we spend growing together, we enjoy, and that is the way that you start to begin to learn of making Jesus your hope. Yeah. And it's the promises. Promises has become a big word in our house this week. Um, yeah, that grows just, your hope. Yeah, absolutely. Because you look at everything in his word and he's constantly showing his character, but he's also making promises and he never breaks promises. So there's where hope starts to build to where it's like what he says he means. These are his promises to yeah. me and to everyone. During the first service, we were singing, you, you never let me down. And yeah. I, I, I walked over and I said, this is a promise. Right. And we grab a hold of those. Okay, I'm going to switch over here. Why in the world did you answer the phone? I mean, it's a culture where we don't answer phones. Oh, this one's on you. I would have let it go to voicemail. <laughs> there it is. But this guy always answers the phone when people call. That's my honest. But you know what? It's been a joy walking alongside them. And thank you for your kind words. And it's just fun pouring into people. It has... Over the couple years that I've been here at Alpine, passion, people were not my passion, I have to admit. Um, I'm more of an introvert, and he's the big extrovert, and so it wasn't my, people were not my passion whatsoever, but over the last couple years, he's been pouring into me, and we've been pouring into the youth, and pouring into yeah. more couples, and it's just, it, it's just a joy, and we love it. Ricky, why'd you answer the phone? So we answered the phone because we, we care. We care a lot. And you matter. And in the Rezac family, we do two things. We do what's right in Jesus' sight, and we tell people about Jesus. So if you matter to Jesus, you matter to us. And we love you. So, so what did you say? What was when you heard this? Obviously, you're excited that you know, people are on this growth journey. What, how did you encourage them, and then how did that encourage you? Oh, it was fun. We asked some questions and found out where they were coming from. And, and in the process of them going through this, our goal is to point them to Jesus. And, and they brought up some, some grace and truth and, and things like that and trying to find the healthy balance. And in that, in that process, we're trying to always find that healthy balance as well to be just like Jesus is. Did you so, guys have a further conversation once you got off the phone? Wendy and I? Yeah. Yeah, about how great it was. Yeah. <laughs> we did. We were thankful that they called and that we, it's a privilege. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's we not a. Text. Yep. Mm -hmm. And how long have you known these guys? 
well, the last service I said about a year, but we've known Clint about a year. Yeah. We've known Katie probably, six, six yeah, probably about so five, this six a, months. So this is a new, this so is a new, new relationship. Yeah. Did you have somewhere else to be at six o'clock that night? Yeah, I did. Dylan, you and I were getting together, so I was supposed to be. I was supposed to be with Dylan. They're apologizing, but they don't they really. Have your time yeah. So, in the midst of us talking with them, and we just feel like Jesus is was always interrupted. So let's be interrupted for each other when you love people. And so Dylan was very caring too. Like while we're talking to them, we're texting him saying, oh, "Let's make it 6:30, 6:45. Let's go to seven. So thank you for that too. So yeah, we, we did have somewhere else to be, but they were worth it. Can we just say thanks to these guys just for taking the time to be up here? Huge. Let, let, me just, let me just say, this is really what it looks like to grow. It's the wrestle. It's the, the sharing with each other, sharing with others in the body. And the biblical, coming from the biblical perspective, this over here is what it looks like when people are your passion. And let me go one step further. It's not just being interrupted. Someone came up to me afterwards and they said, why is answering the phone the ideal? And I actually think it is. There are some people in my life that just answer the phone every time I call. That's important. You never know what somebody's going through. But it goes beyond just being interrupted. It, it's also interrupting. Do to others as you would have them do to you. There's action involved in it. When people are our passion. Um, and, and there's no shame and guilt and condemnation in that. It's just our people, your passion. So what are we talking about? People are our passion. Let me define people for you. If we're going to say people are our passion, um, it's the people that you like. It's the lovable ones. You only have to deal with the people who are lovable and you get along with. That's it. Those are the only ones that you have to have a passion for. The ones that make you feel comfortable. The ones that look up to you and think you're awesome. That's it. Right? When we say people, we mean everyone. Every person your physical eye sees and the ones your eyes don't see. From Lake Zurich, Illinois to the Middle East. People are our passion to Haiti, to Russia, to the Ukraine, to Asia, all over the world. People are our passion. What does it mean that people are our passion? When we say people, we mean everyone. What does it mean when we say passion? I think it's important we define that. I looked in the dictionary for passion and it gave me two definitions and I was blown away at these definitions because I think one is superficial and the other one is right on. Here's what tends to define our passions. Strong and barely controllable emotion. Right? Strong and barely controllable emotion. Passion. The second one, I promise you, this is what it said. The suffering and death of Jesus Christ. That's the passion we're talking about. People are our passion. Just like you we're God's passion. We are God's passion. What are you most passionate about? Is it people? Based on the world, culture, our own desires, what do we often live like is actually, outside of people, our passions. We asked a bunch of people, if the world had to fill in the blank, blank is our passion, what would they put there? And here's some of the answers that we got. I think they're true. When it comes to our passion today, 
Money is our passion or my passion. Anybody? There's a, there's a few honest ones. Security is my passion, making sure everything's good. We're going to be taken care of. We're going to be okay. Technology. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Trust me, where you put your time is where your passions often lie. Sports. Go Packers. I'm only saying that because it didn't work to say lose Packers, so now I'm going to try to go the other way and see if they lose. <laughs> fun and entertainment. It's got to always be fun, entertaining. As long as life is fun and entertaining, I'm passionate about that. How many things do we turn down that people ask us to do because it's not fun and entertaining to us? Because we forgot it was about the person we're doing it with instead of what we're doing. There's no condemnation in that, no shame, just processing. Fitness. Fitness is our passion or appearance. <laughs> Travel is our passion. Boy, the things that don't get accomplished for the kingdom because we want to travel. When if we just flip that travel and called it a mission trip. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to myself, this is, I'm just challenging myself right now. Pets. Oh, I know. Some of you are going, no, they're not. My Yes, they are. <laughs> By the way, our four hamsters are now two, in case anybody was wondering. I know. We're celebrating. Everybody else is sad. <laughs> they died of natural causes. <laughs> and we mourned them. Hobbies are our passion. Possessions are our passions. Health, work, family, food. Social media. I got off social media altogether because I found out that one of the greatest inhibitors of love is judgment, and I could not be on that without being judgmental. Ah, uh, like I've got opinions, and I'm discovering that people don't want my opinion. Some of us ought to discover that. And I think I've got opinion that will benefit you, but people don't care about that. And that's important, I guess. And so I got off and I'm healthier. I am healthier. But some, for some of us, social, that's our passion. I'm not even sure why I just shared all that, but that was a confession moment. There you go. <laughs> our passions are often things that motivate us. Man, what would happen if it was just our love for people? that motivated us. What would happen? Here's my challenge. What you're passionate about isn't just what you feel strong about. What you're passionate about ought to be what you're willing to die for. And that limits the category really, really fast to really one thing. And that's God and his people whether that's family, whether that's country, whether that's people who are in justice, whatever that might be. People are God's passion or God's love. You could say it like that. People are God's love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
That whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Out of his love. He didn't come into the world to judge the world but to save it. That's powerful. So here's my question. Here's what I want you to do. If, if people are God's passion, that obviously means that because we're passionate about God and people are God's passion, then people ought to be our passion. I want you to take out a piece of paper. Everybody take out a piece of paper. Some of you are like, I'm not taking out a piece of paper. That's fine. Find a piece of paper somewhere else. Don't take one out, but find one. Maybe that will help you. Some of you are like, I'm not doing this. Well, that's rebellion. The Bible calls that witchcraft. <laughs> Go with me here. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to write down an answer, okay? Really simple. Some of you will get this wrong. Some of you will get this right. It's 50-50 chance. It's like true or false. But be honest with yourself. Don't just try to be right. Yes, it is a trick question. Here it is. Was Jesus a greater giver of love or receiver of love? Was Jesus a greater giver of love? And don't say it out loud because you might be wrong. Was Jesus a greater giver of love or receiver of love? Write it down. Some of you aren't doing it like you got in your head. Don't, don't switch it. You wrote it. <laughs> I'm watching. Posters, did you write it down? Okay, I'm just checking. You're looking at me like you're ready. It's that look up when the test is over. How many of you said giver of love? Raise your hand. Awesome. How many of you said receiver of love? Raise your hand. The answer is, he was a greater receiver of love than giver of love. How many of you got it wrong? <laughs> Isn't it fun to be imperfect? <laughs> Me too, the first time I was asked this, darn it. You'd think I'd get this one right. How many of you said he's a greater receiver of love? How many of you are trying right now to be theologically accurate by saying he's both? came first, the chicken or the egg? I know. Let me, let, me, let me help you out. John 15, 9. Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples. It's the 15th chapter of John, and so it's all about the vine and the branches and the fact that we are grafted in and we ought to stay in the vine, that that's where everything comes from. And Jesus says this in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. You can only express what has been impressed upon you. God, in creation of mankind, put a big whopping fist of love into the earth, into the hearts of mankind. And to the degree that we have received that love is the ability we have to give that kind of love. And the reason people often aren't our passion is because there is a blockade to the reception of what real love is, and therefore, we are not expressing what real love is. We are expressing the only kind of love we can come up with, which is often selfish love. That's how it works. God went first. You are God's passion, and his love comes to make this massive impression on your heart, Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Aren't you glad hope doesn't put us to shame? When you put your hope in something other than Jesus, it will always put you to shame. Because it's not real hope. That's why Jesus comes, or Paul says right here in Romans, that hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts, impression, through the Holy Spirit. So it's there through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
So we have been given this love. That's why we, we sing songs like, fill me with your heart, God. Let me receive this love that I might give that kind of love. And the world's going to take notice and the world's going to go, wait a second. I know they're Jesus because of how they're loving each other. It's not weird and selfish. It's actually quite divine. It's an experience of the heart more than a feeling. It's the fact that Jesus died for us. And it's truth that he never lets us down. Paul is saying, hey, follower of Jesus, you're not going to come to the end and find out that your hope has all been a sham. You're not going to be put to shame. Any hope outside of Jesus can't keep its promises, but Jesus can. How do we know? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Something happens in the heart, and you know, you really, really know the kind of knowing that you can die for, that my hope is not in vain because it's in Christ. And when I experience and understand that through the power of the Holy Spirit and I let that sink into the deepest places of my heart to the depth I allow it to go is the depth I can give it away. You can clap if that's what moves your heart. What makes the difference between what our true passions are that we currently live for, that list, and what the only true passion is, is our willingness to die for it. All other passions are counterfeit. Our passions at their deepest roots are our loves. And God is trying to redirect our loves away from everything that can't satisfy or fulfill or keep its promises and directly to him. So that when we receive that kind of love, we are able to give that kind of love. And it's important that we learn to give it. When we receive the love of God in our lives, it changes what we are passionate about who we are passionate about, who we love, when we love, how we love. The only kind of love that we can give without God's influence, and people will argue this all day long, but it's true. The only kind of love that we can give without God's influence of love in us is a selfish love or a self-serving love that on some level benefits us, whatever that level may be, however pure we want the motive to be. You cannot give what you have not first received, especially when it comes to God love. We love because he loved us first. I want to read to you out of 1 John. You can stay seated. Normally we stand in these moments, but I want you to just sit and hear. I really want you to hear verses 19, 20, and 21, but I got to go before that because based on what we just said, I want you to hear this truth proclaimed over you by John. As followers of Jesus, dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Wow! I wrote that after that verse right there, and there you can write in your Bible if you want. Wow! Made complete in us. His love made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. Here it is. 
And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Why? Because it's the love we need and get to give to others. And the way you love God is by loving others. They go together and you cannot separate them. Rely on God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him. Oh, may that be true. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Here it is, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Impress, express. If anyone says, I love God, and church, this is to us today. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now let me say it to you like this. Not just brother and sister, but brother and sister, which is those who also believe, who are in the body of Christ, the church. That's the lowest hanging fruit That is what he's saying. You can't say you love God and not love each other. He's banking on the fact that we will love each other because we've been loved by him. So much so that the world will look in and say, you must be God's. And I have to say this because it's boiling in my blood and my veins today. There is so much negativity in the church today from the church. Stop it. That is the very heart of consumeristic Christianity. The church of God is the people of God. We don't go to church. We are a part of it. It is not a place. I wish all names would change that declare church a place and that they could only be called what we're part of. That is the body of Christ, the people of God. It would change the way we think about it. Yeah, it's not perfect. Yeah, the institution gets dumb sometimes. But it is the people of God. What we ought to do is learn to love each other in such a way that we really don't care what the model is because we've got Jesus in each other. And the world will look in. Let's not be part of the problem. Let's be part of the solution. That's strong. I apologize. No, I don't apologize. At the very lowest common denominator is to love our brother and sister, but he also causes us to love the lost because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He also causes us to love the last, those who might be weaker than we are, those who might struggle, those who the world may have rejected. He also causes us to love the least, those who society would say aren't, aren't, aren't beautiful or, or, or this or that. He calls us to them. He actually goes all the way to the extreme and says to his church, his people, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That when God shows up in our heart to love us, we ought to love everyone possible because that's what God did to us and for us. Only God can do that. This love from God transforms us, allows us to experience the new life 
of Jesus and God's love is being poured out on you through his Holy Spirit and you will love others because you've been loved. It's impressed in you so that it may be expressed from you. You receive it so you can give it. If you love him, you will love others. If you love others, you love him. It's how you love him by loving each other, by loving others, by loving the world. You cannot separate the two. You cannot love God if you don't love people. Boy, it's tricky. Now listen, I understand that because of how some relationships go, there are boundaries that we have to put up. But I also know the greater healing comes in the one that has to put the boundaries when we still allow ourselves to love, to pray for, to wish God's best and transformation upon. What does it look like? What does real freedom to love look like when we're confident in the love of Jesus? There are so many books and help out there teaching us to love because no one's mastered it. (laughs) But Jesus is God and loves us perfectly, and that perfect love drives out fear. When you're receiving God's love for you, you will love well. And here's what it looks like. Let me give you three things that if it's happening in your life, you may be a receptor of God's love because this kind of stuff doesn't happen unless you're experiencing God's love. And whatever would stand in the way, go after and eliminate so that you can receive all of it. I'll give you this. First one, receiving God's love destroys the fear of what others think. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no. Man, we are paralyzed by this. I know that God is doing some work in me. I know that there are some barriers coming down and that I'm receiving God's love in ways I never had at age 49 because I'm caring less and less about what people think. Now, let me tell you, I'm not caring less about people. I'm just caring less about what they think. And I'm caring a whole lot more about what he thinks because I know that what he thinks is really true. And he loves me. And he's working on me. And I'm his kid. Fearing what others think always ruins the ability to love well. Why? Because it makes it impossible to be transparent with those we want to love. After all, how can you open up to someone you fear? And when you accept the reality of God's love for you, you'll no longer fear others' opinions. Therefore, you'll be able to focus on the object of your love instead of on yourself. When you get rid of that caring what people think, you can actually care about the person instead of always caring about yourself because that's what caring about what people think really is, caring about yourself. God's love will create a new sense of security and confidence in you. Don't get me wrong. No one feels secure all the time. I can't think of one person who hasn't feared the opinion of others one time or another. But it is possible to live a life that is generally characterized by freedom from the fear of what others think so that loving others well and in transparency becomes a regular occurrence in your life. Receiving God's love destroys the fear of what others think. Secondly, it destroys the fear of putting my heart on the line. How many of you have put your heart on the line and had it hurt by others? You can raise your hand. It's participatory. (laughs) People do that. Hurting people hurt people. But it's about people. They're our passion. I I want you to get this because I think this is the big, this is, and, and some of this is on us. With loving others comes both the beauty of loving others and the pain of it. When we know that God loves us with agape love, which means we are confident that he has our best interests in mind and that he is in control of our lives, we will find the confidence that we need to entrust our hearts to him as we love others. See, the problem is we entrust our heart to others trying to love him instead of fully giving our hearts to him so we can love others. 
Oh, man. If we would just get that, we're actually not putting our hearts on the line. We're giving God our heart, and we fully trust him because he has it. When he has it, then you actually can't step on it because it's in God's hands. Yeah, it hurts sometimes and all that goes with that, but I'm not destroyed because I still have him. God's love provides us with the security we need to make it through all heartache that loving well may bring. Lastly, receiving God's love helps us give real grace. It's so easy to love those who love you back, isn't it? Or easy to love those who are easy to love. And there are some people easy to love. But love is not only experienced by those who are perfect. Instead, love can thrive between the unlovely and the imperfect, between average people like you and I. Why? Because love is never produced by the object of my love. Instead, love exists in me first when I choose to love in spite of someone else's flaws. Let let me say it to you like this. It can only happen as I accept God's love and grace for my own imperfections. How many of you are perfect? None of us. Therefore, it's really easy to look at someone else who's imperfect and go, but I still love you because God loves me in my imperfection. That's grace. And when it happens, humility sets into my being and I'll I'll know that if God can love me, then I can love others with grace too and that no one in my life will be required to be perfect. Instead, They can just be, and that's what we mean by messy church, is creating a space where people can just be. As I receive grace from God for my imperfections, I can pass that grace and love on to others. Say this, we were talking as a lead team, closing with this thought this week, and Joel kind of threw this one at us. Thought I'd share it with you. We've forgotten how to be bored. We just forgot how to do that. Why? Because we are trying to live up and to the right all the time. It's got to be exciting. It's got to be a benefit. It's got to be worth it. It better be worth my time. I'm not going to waste my time. You better do what I say. I better like it. Up and to the left. Up and to the right. Up and to the right. We've forgotten what it means to go to the places that the world would consider boring that Jesus spent most of his time. The boring stuff of answering a phone call from a young couple. (laughs) No offense. Wasn't what you planned. Dylan had to wait a little bit. But oftentimes we run from the very opportunities that don't bring us the benefit we think and what we actually miss out on is the very joy of being the hands and feet of Jesus in the most difficult, boring spaces. We've forgotten how to be bored because we're always trying to live up and to the right instead of down to the left. People are our passion because we are God's passion first. When you look in the mirror, Our prayer is that what we'll be looking back because of how you live, because you've received the love of God, is that people are your passion. And the decisions that we make in life have less to do with everything about life and more more about the people within those life experiences. Run to the people. Be interrupted by the people. Love the people. Because that's how you love God. How many would say, man, I would love for people to be my passion.
like I am God's. Father, I pray in this place that that would be true of us. The people would be our passion because we are yours. That whatever's blocking our receiving of your love, <laughs> oh, I pray, God, that you would remove those things so that we could actually receive what real love is like so we could actually give selflessly to the world around us. And I think you'll change hearts in the process in Jesus' name. Well, aren't you grateful for God's love today? Well, as we wrap up our service, we're going to continue by giving. And giving is a response here at Alpine. And I say response for a reason. It's our opportunity to take part in what God is doing, to take part in his love that he is sharing with our world. And if you would like to give today, you can either give in one of two ways. You can either give as the ushers come forward and pass the buckets or by following the instructions on the screen behind me. Well, however you choose to give today, will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, you are good. We sang that this morning and let it ring true. You are so good. We are so grateful for what you are doing in our lives and the hope you are bringing to our world and what you will continue to do in our world around us. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, ushers, you can go ahead and pass. And as our church family gives, I just have a few quick things for you. First off, I just want to say thank you to the guests that are joining us for the first time this morning. If you are a guest, we'd love to meet you, say hey, and we also have a little gift for you. So go ahead and stop at the welcome desk before you leave today. Just our way of saying thank you, and we'd love to say hey. Secondly, for the ladies in the room, on January 31st, we have our first one night of 2020, and we are so excited. And we hope that you all can make it again. This is for high school ladies and above. We will have a time of worship, a message from Natalie Mudd, and a great time of just connecting with our community. And last but not least, if you've been around us for a while, you've noticed that we've been talking about this thing called Alpha. And if you have a coffee cup, you'll even realize that the Alpha logo is on your coffee cup. And that's for a reason. We want you all to know that you are invited to come and join us for Alpha tomorrow night. And you're invited to bring someone with you. We want to share the hope of Jesus that we all have. So invite someone. If you have any questions about that, stop in the orange corner before you leave today. We would love to share more. Well, again, we are so grateful for you all joining us this week. And we hope to see you next week. We love you. Have a great one.